Hello and welcome to Coinstruct, the podcast where we look at finance and cryptocurrency from a more personal and human perspective. Today I am joined by Kevin Merko, the CEO of Coin Metro Exchange. Coin Metro is a European-based exchange that aims to make the trading experience for pros and beginners alike as exemplary as possible. I was actually an ICO participant back in 2018, and recently I have been in touch with Kevin quite a lot. He's incredibly active in the community, and he's a fantastic speaker. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and our talking points. And a cheeky side note, please support this channel by using my ICO tier referral link for Coin Metro below. Thank you. Yeah. What time is it where you are? 11 a.m. Nice. So you're having lunch after this conversation, I assume? Uh, no, actually, I think I have a, I have a pretty full day. I, I have a call in at 12, 1232, 3, 4. Oh, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> not Busy quite day. sure when uh, I'll have time for lunch. But is it like this every day for you? Uh, 70% of my days, yeah. Crikey. Um, I read your most recent AMA and it said you just recently went to uh, Mexico with your wife. How was that? Uh, well, I didn't. My wife was already there, actually. She was. I, I lived there for 20 years, so we have some property there. She was, She had been there taking care of a few things. So I just really went to go pick her up. I kind of Ubered her back. To, uh, <laughs> From to Mexico. Nice. Um so yeah, I, I showed up and then worked from there for th- four days and came back. Has this been one of the busier periods for you? Because obviously crypto is taking off the past few months. Has have things been busy like this for years, or is it just, you know, has it picked up recently? Well, for for Coin Metro in general, I mean, even if there, even if we have less transactions, that means obviously some of the business customer support, maybe treasury might be less busy. But I think on the admin uh, executive side, it doesn't really get less busy. No, makes sense. Uh, because there's there's always something that needs to be done. There's always a problem that needs to be tackled. There's always you know, some new business development or some new contacts that need to be made. So uh, I mean, from the, I think for, yeah, from the executive side, we've, we've been busy since inception. Um, that was, but yes, more more pieces of the business have started to get busy for sure. For sure. Um, speaking of inception, that was in March 2018, right? Or February 2018? Uh, well, no, not necessarily. The company it's, uh, the company was established uh, in, in March of 2018, officially. But the actual, uh, you know, putting together of the ICO platform running initially running the ico etc uh that whole process started back i think september october of 2017 yeah that makes more sense because i remember being in on the ico um around the time of january 2018 so i kind of just participated in the ico and then essentially walked away and forgot about it and then came back last year and it was lovely to see everything up and running and the site looking amazing and the community was really big so that was that was nice to see yeah, yeah, it's been a it's been a long road. It has been a long road. Um, one of the things I actually wanted to ask you was what what dis- what made you decide to to create Coin Metro? Uh, well, I had been in FX for a long time, and I like the FX business. Uh, it's crypto and FX are, uh, I would say, kind of cousins. 
at a minimum, maybe even uh, maybe even brothers brothers or, or sisters, uh, depending on how you look at it. But the the FX market, the way it's run, the, the kind of the the way that liquidity is aggregated, the general systems that are used is is very similar to crypto. So I always like the FX business, but the FX business got a bit stale uh, because essentially in FX everybody's a salesman. It doesn't matter if you talk to the CEO, the CFO, the CPO, the COO. Of, a, of an FX broker, the only thing they really do day in and day out is sales. And they all sell the same things. They all use the same third-party providers. They all have the same liquidity. And they all talk about how great their, how deep their liquidity is or how great their matching engine or whatever technology is. When in reality, they're all using the same stuff. And it just got a bit monotonous. Uh, and there's there, there wasn't, you know, I, I kind of moved into crypto initially. I mean, personally in 2009, I was already mining Bitcoin. Right. Um, so you're an early adopter. So sure. on a personal level, I was already kind of involved. But from a business angle, really around 2013 or 14, I started to get clients that were asking about how they could get exposure to Bitcoin. And at the time, there was really no, there was no way for clients to get exposure to Bitcoin through any real, let's say, mature means. There were two APIs available. It was like, I think it was, if I remember correctly, Bitstamp and Hoibi. Uh, both APIs were rudimentary. Um, price changes between ticks or, 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 or sorry, the, the, the percentage of price change between ticks was, uh, was huge. There was no way for me to offboard risk. So that's kind of where the business side started. And then eventually going into 2017, I, I had a bit more time to focus on it. And I started to look at what kind of was missing in the crypto markets. And I would say it's still missing for the most part. And it's missing in all, in all finance, to be honest. Um, that you know the 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 retail market there's a lot of exchanges but the retail market's always underserved they're underserved because they get bad service bad quality of product uh, bad no access to certain types of products um, and generally get priced much worse than their institutional counterparts and the same thing is the reason why I got into FX except I saw this kind of community I guess side to to crypto that doesn't exist in FX. Like I said, everybody's a salesman. You go to a conference in FX, and it's literally all you do is go there to get sold to all day long, even though you have the same stuff that you're that somebody's trying to sell you, and they know it. And so it becomes quite a monotonous. Like I said, it's it's it, it got boring after sure. a while because sure. of that. And crypto had this community aspect that FX or really I would say almost anything in finance doesn't really have. And it's good and it's bad, but to me at the time, it was a pro. It meant that uh, you had kind of these soapboxes. You could talk to people. Um, even even competitors were more likely to uh, help each other or try to solve problems, to, you know. And, and that's obviously, over time, that's going to stop, unfortunately. That's that's what happens in business. Yeah, especially um, as the market but becomes much more But even valuable. now, you still see a bit of camaraderie that you don't see in other, in other markets. It is surprising. Um, I mean, But from a business angle, yeah, it's about... Sorry, I mean it is surprising how you see incumbents such as you know Ethereum, even you know Ethereum, Solana. They will on uh, Alameda and and Vitalik on on Twitter will be communicating and and working together and solving some problems. And it does seem you know in some ways they're major competitors, but they are working together. Like it's interesting that you said that it will stop. I wonder what's going to bring about that that change whereby whereby the the, the most you know the uh, biggest well, competitors uh, greed. Greed is one. Um, it happens. It's a human. It's a human trait, and it's at one point all it touches almost everyone. So greed will happen. Uh, not only from a from a the, the greed hasn't happened yet because 
generally speaking, crypto is a retail market, still is. No matter how much people want to talk about institutional money, what drives price uh, up to this point, for the most part, are hype cycles. Hype cycles driven by uh, generally retail. Now, sure. obviously, that has started to change a bit. We are seeing you know, the likes of Tesla, et cetera. But those decisions are still made by humans. Uh, obviously, those decisions are still wrapped around hype cycles. Those decisions still feed into a general kind of hype environment that's fueled by retail. And because of that, the kind of this, this, this nature of, of retail trading, the, you see all this correlation, right? There should be no correlation between, say, Bitcoin and some random altcoin, but there still is. Yeah, and there is so. because retails, retail traders don't understand that there shouldn't be correlation. So they look for it. And when they see one thing move, they trade everything else. And so because of that, you have this, uh, this kind of, I would say, artificial or artificial market that's created where greed hasn't set in yet because when one guy goes up, the tide raises all the other ships. That's going to stop at some point. And that's when the greed factor will come in and you'll start to see um, more comp less companies working together. So that's one factor. Uh, the, the other factor generally is that um, you kind of, everybody's vying to be, you know, the next Ethereum or the next Bitcoin or the next whatever, whatever. I don't, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't think we have a cryptocurrency yet. Um, I haven't seen any crypto that acts really, that I would define as a currency under any, uh, I would say, uh, standard or, or or traditional definition. I don't really think we've we've gotten the smart the 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 kind of programmable money winner yet. I don't think it exists yet, um, or it exists and it's not. It hasn't yet kind of taken taken ownership of the market. So there's so many things that are going to change, and I think that when 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 you start to see corporate and I would say just general adoption around specific protocols. Um, and we've seen, obviously, forced adoption around protocols like Ether is still the, the smart contract uh, king because at some point, well, th there was no other game in town. Now sure. there are other games in town, but they still haven't been able to really pull all market share or even a significant piece of market share from Ethereum. But that's probably going to happen at some point. Um, and so when those things start to happen, where now you're vying for market share, the big boys are starting to vie for market share. Um, and the big protocols are starting to vie for market share and the big platforms are starting to really have to fight for market share, meaning the market starts to grow at such a rate that the big, quote unquote, big platforms uh, start to lose market share. You're going to see less um, camar camaraderie. <laughs> between, And that's also an element of greed. Um, but it's just an element of, you know, you can be quite complacent right now if you're an you know, Ethereum foundation or you know, if you're because everybody's kind of doing well, some people, some do better than others. Some have more adoption than others, but everybody's generally doing well because it's still a a, a novel market. And, and you know, and people, it, it people pretty much just test well. things out as they come along. You can kind of get success pretty easily. And yeah. that's going to change. I think that's interesting um, to the, the the combined efforts of everyone alongside the price of Bitcoin to try and, you know, maintain some kind of growth. If Bitcoin goes up, everyone else goes up, so we can all work together to make cryptocurrencies more adoptable for the regular people. Uh, are you kind of suggesting that at some point there'll be a kind of a decoupling from the rest of the market and the price of Bitcoin? There has to be. You can't. You can't have a mature market where one asset holds seventy percent of all volumes and all. It, it just. It's. 
it's impossible. Sure. If, a, if that happens, then there is no crypto market. It's just Bitcoin. I mean, you, you might as well just give up now, basically. I mean, if you talk um, to your... your and, and I don't see that as happening. If you talk to your average person on the street and you talk about cryptocurrency, they tend to only know about Bitcoin. But it's like you say, I mean, the difficult part is now is that the average person or even just the unknowing institution who is headed by, you know, quote unquote, old money, they tend to buy Bitcoin because of the because of other, you know, because of the hype cycle, for example. But how how does, you know, how does the market decide where to distribute those funds? It, right now, you said ETH is the incumbent. Does ETH stay the incumbent? Obviously, gas prices right now are incredibly they're obnoxious, really. They are just so restrictive to pretty much anyone who is not a huge trader. Um, but does that mean that L2 solutions yeah. are going to be the future? Or does something like Polkadot, ADA, similar things come in and do they take the market? Well, I think that it's one thing the narrative the kind of whole narrative behind crypto is wrong because it's as immature as the market was five years ago in that the focus is on, I mean, let's, so I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, I, I, I tip my hat to whoever Satoshi Nakamoto was as a group, as a person, as an individual, um, because he took four existing technologies and put them together in a way that, at some point, it's not transformative yet. The only thing we've done is created a market where people make money. Other than that, we haven't really seen so much substantive change with those four pieces of technology. We're starting to see some change, but to be fair, what we've created is a place where initially um, people without money were able to create wealth, and very quickly that wealth generating machine is now being owned by the same people who already had the wealth. In fact, the 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 you know the breakdown of ownership of Bitcoin is now worse in terms of inequality than the breakdown of ownership of cash, so or or, or just you know money in general. Is is that in the hands of people who are already in you know already are cash incumbents, for example, or is that because the argument is that crypto is allowing the distribution of wealth to people outside the traditional institutional whales, for for example. But it's not true, though. It's, simp it's simply not true. It, if you look at the distribution of Bitcoin, in, in, now obviously some of those accounts can be anonymous, but just looking at the percentages of who owns what, like the 1% own how much, 5% own how much, etc. And you compare that to the income and wealth inequality just in the traditional world, it's actually worse in Bitcoin. So m less people own more of Bitcoin uh, than, than the amount of, and then when you just compare it to the actual wealth in the world. Sure, I mean, and it, that's not going to change. That's not the higher change. the price goes, the more hype that's driven, the more that's going to, the more that's going to sway. So the possibility of concentration getting worse. But if, for example, as you say, crypto matures to the point that it is a functioning, you know, there's there's functioning products and it becomes potentially a currency, or you'd, you know, DeFi is adopted by actual financial institutions, Bitcoin must fall in some way. Do the incumbents not then spread their wealth? around the cryptocurrency uh, market, they in become whales and other products that in a similar way? That, that was part of my kind of narrative. The narrative is wrong in that I don't think crypto is going to be the way that things are described. I think, you know, traditional finance is massive and there's really no future where some, where four old technologies are put together and somehow they take over the entirety of traditional finance globally. 
traditional finance, if you just want to define it as, I mean, you're talking about quadrillions of dollars worth of settlements on a yearly basis. You're probably talking if you if you if you take settlements, and I'm talking about just you know security settlements, equities, yep. bonds, convertibles, whatever. Um, there's quadrillions. There's one company, DTCC, that does about 1.44 quadrillion a year wow. in settlements just inside the U.S. equities market alone. Now, if you take that and combine it with FX, you're talking about sextillions of dollars being transferred, traded, settled, etc., on a yearly basis. And you think a market that's currently at one trillion, which is is somehow going to take over and impossible. What happens is with every kind of innovation, and we've already seen it start to happen. Um, but what happens with every, any innovation, and especially in finance, is that traditional takes what they like and destroys the rest. So you can even even in even in tech, to be fair, I mean one easy one easy kind of way to look at that is Skype, right? So Microsoft bites bought Skype. Nobody uses Skype anymore. But they took what they liked and made Microsoft Teams. Uh, you know, that's that's from the tech side. That happens all the time, right? There's also happens all the time where companies will get bought out. Their technology that they had that looked really innovative, and you'll never see it again. But you'll see pieces of it in other technology that that company pushes out. And that happens all the time as well. In finance, you know, there is there's a way things are done, and it's very difficult to change that. And regardless of how innovative the people that are really inside the industry think it is, and I mean the crypto industry, it isn't all that innovative. In fact, I would argue that the 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 IOU paper currency is way more innovative in order to make a more elastic economy than crypto ever will be. Because, you know, even going from Bretton Woods to pegging things to gold and moving away from that uh, and, and, and just creating, um, you know, basically fiat currency is more innovative. Because it allows it, what would happen in what would happen in a COVID crisis if we were still pegged to gold? How would that work? Uh, you can't just print money. Uh, you have to actually have something to back it up. So what do you do? Uh, so the the the, in, the the what what we've done you know the, this kind of database technology with timestamping um, that's decentralized is is nice. But at the end of the day, if, I mean, what's already kind of starting to happen is that traditional traditional finance will pick apart what they like. They will use it. And I think 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when my youngest daughter is maybe going through college, maybe she's studying uh, finance, traditional finance will encompass pieces of decentralized technology. Some of these, some of it will be decentralized, some of it won't. There will be hybrids. There'll be like, you know, centralized order books and decentralized peer-to-peer -peer settlements. All those things will just be eaten up by traditional finance. What they don't like um, and I don't know what that list is yet. Could be privacy coins. Uh, could be things like um, completely decentralized DEXs, because at the end of the day, they're not regulatory compliant, and you're still moving money between parties without KYC, and that's a no-no when it comes to regulation. So who knows what it is that'll show up on that I don't like list? But those things are probably going to die, or just be some very small, you know, dark web, dark market. Um, and you know, there's always a dark market. So regardless of what industry you're in, um, but I think the narrative, the narrative that this, this kind of crypto narrative that, you know, you, we need to, what happens is, is everything becomes digitized. I don't think it's going to be called tokenized in the future. We'll call it digitized versus tokenized. We, sure. dis, we, you know, because we dematerialize markets when they went electronic and now we're digitizing them. And that, that's huge. That's going to bring all those quadrillions and sextillions of dollars into a digital market built on some form of DLT. 
And I think that's really the the massive future that we're in for. Bitcoin being kind of the the the, the godfather of all this or the or the grandfather of all this will probably remain as a as a store of value. But the only reason that it has the hype cycles now is because it's been super volatile and it's seen, you know, you're, you're able to, it was at, you know, whatever, 3.6K just uh, months ago. And now it's, um, you know, trying to find a breakthrough 50. And the, 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 the reason for that is because it's retail driven. When more and more institutional money comes in, it's going to turn into any other institutional market. You're going to see what, eight to 12% a year compounded uh, returns year on year. Everybody that's retail is going to get bored and they're going to move to other things. That's going to drive us an, an alt market, whether that's, you know, the, the alt, alt coins that currently exist, or you're going to have alt markets like penny stocks, like digitized private equity or private company equity, which will become your new kind of alt market. But in reality, will just be a penny stock pink sheet market from the 1980s digitized for the 2020s. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, that, that, I think the we've started to see narrative change. And that narrative went from like, you know, your kind of um, anarchists that kind of started the crypto movement into now a capitalist, um, I want to make money movement. Um, and now we're moving now into this institutionalized, let's 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 refine capital markets movement. Um, and I, I think the narrative, the narrative's already drastically changed, even though people inside the industry might not acknowledge it because they're too close to the industry to see it. Um, but that narrative is going to continue to change. And, and I think this, you know, the cowboy atmosphere, the, you know, you can earn a hundred X atmosphere, all those things will go away, but there will be elements of those in this kind of pink sheet, mi micro cap, uh, digitized equity market yeah. uh, that's probably going to emerge. And the utility token market, I think will still remain. I think many big companies will start to use utility tokens. I think we still will see things like ICOs. Capital raising through ICOs was super innovative. Um, there just wasn't anybody policing it, and that's why uh, you know you had ninety percent of companies failing. But ninety percent of companies fail regardless in every industry, right? That's 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 how things work. People fail. But unfortunately, um, if you if you get but yeah, I think I think the narrative is is probably wrong now. The net the the kind of the the progression of the market is moving f faster than the narrative, I guess. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, something noble about the idea, you know, that, that okay, and, and initially Satoshi, whoever he, they, was our... Did I lose you? <laughs> can, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? I can, yeah. Oh, did you hear me before? I didn't. Okay, no worries. Uh, yeah, I was saying that I do, I agree. I did think you hear me? I did hear everything. Yeah, it was really great. Um <laughs> I I do agree. I think that the um I think that the narrative of well, I want to say the philosophy, maybe the okay, the narrative of cryptocurrency since the beginning since Satoshi whoever he they was or are um the idea is very noble to make finance more kind of transparent, more accountable to make it more trackable for the regular person, for even just governments if it has to be, but to make the ledger technology is an, an essential next step. Um, I do think also that the the democratizing effect of ICOs, the tokenized ICOs is a really powerful thing. If you own a business and you want to raise some money, you can go and create a token on Ethereum and you can list it on a DEX, which as you say, is likely going to be heavily regulated. But if you could find a compliance uh, CEX, you know, these things are really fantastic. Um, 
I know for a fact I've got some friends back in the UK who are in London and they are trying to do some kind of album sales business and they're trying to mint their album covers into NFTs to raise a bit of cash. I think things like this are, they're small, uh, you know, small little token gestures, token nods towards the bigger aim of cryptocurrency. But I do think they're really quite a, quite a fantastic and innovative thing. Um, it, it worries me that you speak so convincingly from a very experienced point of view about institutional takeover of the ledger technology of the blockchain space in general. I don't disagree with you. It's very nice in this in this moment of retail hype to kind of get lost in it all and assume that the people who make you know you see people on Twitter, for example, who are making millions and they're just your average Joe who's twenty five to thirty five years old, and you think, wow, maybe this is the future. The institutions are going to fall and the regular man is going to be bigger. But I do agree with you that at some point it will just balance out. The yeah. alt, the altcoin hype, I think. Yeah, look, unfortunately. You go. You know, I, sorry, I was just going to say to that point. Unfortunately, I've been around retail clients for a long time. And part of the reason other than just community is the fact that I think I think barriers should be brought down. I think, you know, an adult should be able to make decisions based on what they want to do with their money. And I think that philosophy is great, and I think it's it could change the world. But what I know, it's that's what I think, is that the reason why those those regulations are there to stop retail from getting into usually what would be considered higher risk investments, even though they are also higher reward, is that no matter how much collectively retail, they they are the first ones to run. Uh, for uh, for help, and it's 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 you know I've seen so many times where retail individuals will lose money. It the same retail individuals that say that regulation shouldn't be there, that they should be able to do what they want, that why do they have to jump through all those hoops, are the first ones to run to the regulator and complain. And so there's this there's this kind of I don't know uh, it's it's kind of um, I don't even know the the right terminology, but there's this disconnect between what is said and the reality. And so I I, I talk to lots of regulators. I honestly think that there's yeah restricting access. I also know that the that when we do that, when we get to that point where that happens, general people, most people don't understand how any of anything works so when it comes to in general when it comes to finance when it comes to capital markets they they do not understand risk they will put themselves at they will over leverage themselves they will you know get wrecked as they say in, yeah. in in crypto it will happen it's inevitable the vast majority will get wrecked and then the question is does that mean that giving access unfettered access are you actually a villain more than um, you know, kind of the hero, the hero, the hero yeah. of the is story. It, is it, it a democratizing because thing, or is it is in it the eyes of many, you yeah. are a villain? Mm-hmm. Access to these kind of pre-IPO deals, or twenty euros, thirty euros in a company that potentially can do amazing. You could see a thousand x return, or you can lose everything. And the vast majority of those instances, you know, your Ubers, your all these different companies, the vast majority of those companies that start like that lose. 70, 80, 90% of companies that start with a vision that they're going to change the world or whatever lose. And so the investors lose their money. So it's one thing when you have someone that's educated enough, that has enough experience and potentially enough money 
to where the 10K, 5K, 100K million that they put into that entity doesn't change their life. And that's it. They just move on. They take the loss and they move on. But most people can't do that. And so it's, it's, there's always this question in my mind if why, you know, it's, it's kind of the same, it's kind of the same argument where uh, when you look at, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, any, um, any, 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 any question that any philosophical question, there's always this kind of on paper, everything looks great. So like communism on paper, Marxism on paper, socialism on paper, democracy on paper, they all look fantastic. But in practice, but people yeah. have a really, really in, inane, inane ability to absolutely fuck things up. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, so on, it's on show all when over you the put world the human right now, element actually. into anything, yeah. we, we, we're really good at destroying things. And we're really good at misinterpreting things or interpreting it under our own belief system, etc. So all those things, all those different things that look great on paper generally are not that great in reality. They might be better than the last great idea, but they're nowhere near as perfect as they seem to be on paper. And it's the same thing here. I think that's the- So uh, that's... I think we will venture down a road. I think regulators will loosen. Regulators will have to loosen uh, their, their kind of strings on, on different aspects of the market. I'm not sure in the end, though, people are going to get what they expected. I, I think um, I think you're right in a sense that we do tend to fuck pretty much everything up that looks like a great idea. It does tend to come out much worse than you expect. But the direction is the correct is the important thing. It's are you heading in that direction? The gradient, not so important. It's just are we heading in the right direction? And I do think lots of aspects of cryptocurrency is kind of bringing about ideas that should have been thought about a long time ago, specifically transparency and the democratization of wealth. I don't know how to what extent it will happen, but I think it's the direction we need to go in. Um, what- yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think both of those things, transparency is absolutely needed. Um, the, the problem there is as well is that um, most most facets of transparency can also be manipulated, even when it's immutable. Yes, it's transparency to the people who know how to, you know, how to look for it. But the majority of things are still very much, you know, very much opaque. And the, for the average person, things exactly. will not and the, change. And the, the democratization of markets, absolutely. Again, it is a do- it is a double edged sword because it's true. Um, I mean, what you, you know, say people about get this idea that. What you say about you know giving everybody the chance to have unregulated, unfettered access to to the market and to IPOs, ICOs, um, I'm I'm not I'm not an income I'm not a whale, right? So I've been around, I've been hanging around some uh, how to say less than legitimate projects, but under the pretense that people are saying that you know if you you can you can do ten times, you can do twenty times, you can do two times. So I've been around some Telegram yeah. servers, some Twitter servers, Discord servers. For a number of months, especially over last summer, things were particularly bad. Um, and the thing that I noticed was that you had a few, you had a handful of DGENs, if you will, who are making absolutely horrendous, obscene gains. And you had a lot of people who were following and who were just trying to be a part of all of the wealth creation. And you see these same people who are taking the advice of the of, of someone who know who's in the know, and they get caught with a token that then drops to the floor, becomes completely worthless. And you think, well, I wonder how many times this person has done this. Okay, so he's he's made, he's, he's gone in with his complete free access to the market. He's made 20 times on a token that has no intrinsic value, but it because of the ridiculousness of recent events in crypto, it has 
gone multiple times. He then takes that profit and he does it again and again and again, and he loses all his money. But he's done it once, so he has in his mind that it's possible to make, you know, to, to make such money. And then he tells his friends and his friends do so. And I do wonder across the entire market, how many people who are your average retail, you know, someone without a lot of money who is putting maybe half of their paycheck in every month in order to try and double or triple, how many of these people do actually come out wrecked? You know, do they, do these people and, and 90%, 90%, I do think so, you know, and it is quite tragic because you see the worst part about it, I think, is that you see, it's like social media in general. You see only what someone wants you to see. So you see on on any social media, Twitter, Telegram, whatever, you see people saying about what insane gains they're making, especially people who are already quite wealthy in crypto terms. And you think that it's just mm -hmm. an entirely possible thing, but you spend your days losing money or being caught on tokens that have no value or you know, because you're a small investor, you have such low profit margins due to high gas prices. No one's really assisting or being honest about these things because lots of people are losing their money on things that have no technology behind them, uh, things that have no intrinsic value. And I do think the regulation, how do you regulate it though without kind of destroying the whole ethos of the current crypto market? Yeah, I think it, th that's the thing. It's the the nature of crypto currently, um, whether it's regulated or unregulated, means that you can't really add filters. The more the filters you add can just be they 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 can be you know written around pretty easily. the 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 question is is it's more about education, to be honest. I think I think globally, especially in countries where that have the most wealth for some reason, so U.S., U.K., Australia. Uh, let's say your Western countries, and then you're where you where you have this uh, emerging middle class, which is Latin America as well. Generally, around the world, you don't have education about finance in school, right? You, no, no one learns really about money or how it works. No, or, absolutely. Unless you choose to, unless that's your major or an option you make, it's absolutely you don't get taught it at all. Um, it's it's kind of like I think I think in many ways the choice to not teach. The general population about finance is is in some ways um, a kind of oligarchical move. I think in some ways to try and keep it all privatized, to keep it amongst the few who can then teach their family or their friends about how to succeed in that space. So before I entered crypto, for example, I had very little experience in in the financial markets in general, and it's just it's insane sometimes when you realize the wealth creation that it seemingly comes out of thin air. Obviously. There's the technicals behind it make sense on the macro level. But for someone who is inexperienced, you do come along and you see this wealth creation and you think it's, it's quite detached from reality, really. And I think trying to explain that to the general population is it's a very difficult thing. Yeah, yeah. But that's it, really crypto in many ways is, a, is, is just an, is mimicking what happens in, in traditional capital markets. But traditional cap, when, when it happens in traditional capital markets, most people don't have access to see it. But in terms of you know all, creating a token out of thin air, a utility token, raising money off of it, um, people trading it and pushing it to, to sky high heights that are multipliers above uh, what the actual company is worth is literally what the equity markets are. Yeah, Tesla, that is literally a, a carbon copy of an equity market. Because if you look at any look at Te I mean Tesla, Tesla is a great yeah. example. It's probably the best example right now. Um, the valuation of Tesla is absolutely ridiculous. 
It is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the game, GameStop and and AMC are another another kind of micro chasm version of uh, of of ridiculousness in markets, where a very small, a relatively very small group of people with a relatively very small amount of capital were able to basically push a useless stock up to levels that valued the company at probably a thousand x of what its actual valuation is or higher. Yeah, I mean, I. You see that every day in crypto, for sure. I do actually. It's, it's quite an important point. I'd like to ask you. Um, you coming from the point of view that regulation helps the retail trader, which in many ways I do agree with. What do you feel about the unilateral halting of buying the stock on the on the Robinhood incident? Well, I think so. It's not really a regulatory issue. What you know, what happens is what people again things that people don't understand. So. Obviously, for Robinhood is using some liquidity provider to provide them with liquidity so they can sustain the buying and selling that happens on their platform because they're not they don't have the ability. They're not making their own book, so they're not trading against their clients. They are simply STPing or straight through processing those transactions and pushing them out to someone who's taking the risk. So the problem is, is that what happens when everybody's on the same side of the trade? So in normal markets, even markets that go sky high real quick, you're probably going to have, you know, if you had a 50-50 market, 50% buyers, 50% sellers, and let's assume they're all buying and selling the same quantities, you obviously have a flat market. It's not going anywhere. All you have to do is adjust that market by literally 1%, and you can have a market that can go substantially hard in one direction, depending on, obviously, the size of trades. But even the 1% difference, will start to, you'll start to see, you know, a market shift based on wherever that difference is. Now imagine that you have 85% of everyone on one side of the trade um, and your liquidity provider comes to you and says, I can't find any more, there's nothing left to buy. Like literally, I, all our stock is gone. We're not gonna take this, we're not gonna take the other side of this trade because we don't know how high it's gonna go. We're not gonna take the risk. So we're shutting you off. That's it, you can't, we, because we're not, I'm not, we're not willing to take the risk that the thing goes to 700 and we're holding the other side of the position just so that your retail guys at $3 a pop can go in and jump in on this on this stock on a, on a $5,000 option. So they shut off liquidity. Now, if they shut off liquidity, what's Robinhood gonna do? Take it on their own books? First of all, they're not regulated to do that, so they can't. But even if they could, why would they? Why, you know, the amount of money they made on, you know, th th so they're all options. They were mostly all options uh, trades, right? Yeah. So they're making a very small commission on every one of those options trades. So you get into an options trade, they make, I don't know, $6, whatever it is. So they make $6 on that trade with the potential that that $10,000 trade you just entered could make, the, could, could put them on, could lose, they could lose, the company could lose hundreds of thousands of dollars for a $6 commission. They're not gonna take the other side of that position. It's just stupid. It, it doesn't make any business sense whatsoever. So they shut it down. I, I think in any if, if any one of those Reddit guys or anyone in the media or anybody that's complaining about this understood the business side of that, they would do exactly the same thing. Not one person would have taken the other side of those positions. I do agree that it's a business decision, but I do I do think though that what what they did do should put them out of business. I don't I don't see how I don't see how a trading company. Well, I. I I would say, so I wrote that on Twitter, actually, but not because what I think they did was, I mean, the problem is, is not Robinhood. It's how markets are structured. 
because in a normal in a normal marketplace, if you walk into a supermarket and you want to buy, you know, a thousand apples and they only have eight hundred, well, you're not buying a thousand apples. I mean, what are you going to do? Go in there and complain and tell them that they need to close their store down because sure. they can't support your thousand apple purchase? No, you're just going to buy eight hundred and look for the other two hundred somewhere else. The thing is, here is the same exact thing. There's just no supply. If there's no supply, how are they supposed to how are they supposed to fill that order? I think the problem is is that one. This is again partially due to education. You have a lot of trade. You have a bunch of traders that have no idea what they're doing, and then they take their they take their fury out on a company for doing something that is pretty fundamental. They just don't. They have nothing to sell you. So how can they possibly sell you anything? And so it's. I don't think it's Robinhood that should be. They are the ones that will be vilified. They they may end up actually closing shop. Um, and partially do that they should have had enough warnings, knowing that they're dealing with retail clients, knowing that they're uh, regulated to only deal with retail clients. They should have had warnings all over the place as soon as they started seeing what was happening, saying at some point we're not going to be able to sell any more of this stock because the, the supply is going to run out. They didn't do that, and that, that's, that's their fault. So I, I would definitely say for that reason and that reason alone maybe, that may be the end of Robinhood. But – I don't think what they did was evil. I don't think it was there. There was nothing wrong with it. Um, the fact is, is that you know, again, those same guys that bought Game GameStop are probably guys in crypto for the most part, and and guys that trade other things. The same guys that say they don't want regulation. The same guys that that they, that they should have access. The same guys that say that the hedge funds do market manipulation when what they did, according to the law, is market manipulation, and they should all be in jail <laughs> because they ran a pump and dump. And they ran a pump, a boiler room pump and dump through Reddit, which in 1980s put a lot of white collar dudes. Well, they're not, not a lot of them went to jail, uh, but they definitely got fined and got put out of business. So it's I think it's it generally comes from a misunderstanding of what happened and not caring about what happened, to be honest, just because they feel egregious. But in reality, what they were complaining about is, is the same thing they did. So it's a bit of a hypocrisy as well on I, the part of the of I, the, of the I do understand that in some ways there is a certain a certain hypocrisy in it in that market manipulation on the short side was spotted and then market manipulation was longed and they're complaining about the effects of both when realistically both are market manipulation but I do think it does extend a little bit further than regulatory I think it's just kind of to me from you know from the outside looking in I wasn't involved in any way but to me, it seems as if it's a culmination of not just a financial idea, not just the idea of making money off of the stock. It it was the culmination of a, a big social problem. And I think the social problem is, is macroeconomic. I think it's not just America. I don't think it's just in the stocks market. I think it's across pretty much the whole of the modern world at the moment. It's the concentration of wealth and the concentration of power and you know the, the removal of options not stock options but you know life options for the everyday trader the everyday person so you know these people with very little money who are on reddit who got this idea that it was a good idea to do so it turned out to be a good idea for a, a probably quite a relatively small number of people who actually profited very off small. of it yeah very 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 small because i was i was present in some of these chats when and people were this people goes were back to the pressure. idea that the idea that if regula regulation is an issue, um, it still goes back to this thing that the it's not it's 
it's still an education issue. You're in a, if you're in a, if you're adult enough to be able to gain access to markets that are high risk, you should be adult enough to do your research before you jump in. And I have to be honest, the idea that everyone could be on the buy side and somehow we're going to get filled at the price they want and continue to get filled is just outright stupid. Yeah, it's a lack of knowledge. Because at some it's a point, lack of no matter what, yeah, no matter what you're doing, you're going. There won't be enough. Like I said, the Apple Store. People understand that one. You go in the store like, ah, I need to buy 15 pairs of shoes. Well, we have two. Oh, okay. Then you go to the next store. Oh, we have three. Okay. So the idea is that, yeah, if you were trying to buy 15 pairs of shoes and the first store told you they had two, you'd buy the two. You go to the next store. They had three, whatever. Maybe you made it to the fifth store, finally got your 15 pairs of shoes. You probably paid a VWAP or volume-weighted average price because they didn't. every store was a bit different in their sure. pricing. Um, and you know, you're a bit upset cause you had to drive around the city, but that's it. It's, you don't think it's a systematic issue from the shoe store or the shoe manufacturer or the fact that wealthy shoe buyers are trying to screw you uh, and not give you access to the shoes. You just look at it as well. There wasn't enough shoes. So I had sure. to drive somewhere else. That's exactly what happens in capital markets. That's exactly what happened with, with the, with this whole Reddit scenario. The thing is, is that the capital market is, are broken. Sure. They're, they're antiquated. And they're not fit for this modern digital world we live in. There was never this idea when capital markets were built that somehow everyone around the world was going to be able to press a button and gain access to them. And that's and they are illiquid. They are not as liquid as most, you know, even even the biggest companies in the world, in comparison to what you may believe, are illiquid. If everybody in the world tried to buy a stock right now in the most liquid company on the Nasdaq Dow, CAC, FTSE, Nikkei, They'd probably run into issues at some point. What someone would not be able to buy that share. Yes, so kind of. And that's that's just a that's just an that's just a shitty structure. It has nothing to do with the regulatory side of it uh, at all. It's just it's just an old structure that needs to be changed. Yeah, restructuring. But to be fair, nothing we have right now changes that. So crypto doesn't change it. Um, I mean, crypto's crazily liquid. I mean, you know, when you try to go around, you were trying to buy some altcoin. Good luck. You want to buy a billion worth of an altcoin, you know, have fun. Uh, probably not going to be able to do it. To be fair, even when you want to buy a billion of Bitcoin, it's not a straight through kind of process. You know, it's not an easy process to do um, unless you're buying a synthetic. And at that point, well, you're taking risk. Yeah, there's a so lot of a lot of progress on that. But yeah, I, I, I think, think that's a risky. People are upset. I think people are upset. They have a right to be upset. There's this social imbalance. There's a wealth imbalance. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But they they are picking their battles incorrectly. <laughs> like, the, the problem is the structure. Robin the Hood problem is not is the not, villain yeah. here. It's just it, the thing is though is the problem is that I find I think that people find that there is no one to, there is no enemy to to fight. There is like for the for the average person there is no enemy to fight. Uh, you can't fight Robin Hood because they're not really the enemy. Uh, you can't fight the structure because it's not really headed by anyone. It's just an incumbent. It's just the way of things. Um, but that's pretty existential. So I actually wanted to ask you something about. I think. Uh, go on, you go. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. No, no, I was, I was just going to say that uh, that you're 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 right. There, but there is a way to fight. Well, first you show that you first you show the system is broken, which probably wasn't their intention with the Reddit thing, but they proved that the system is broken. We've also proven, well, the proof the system's proven to be broken on a daily basis, to be honest. But that was definitely one. A way to show the system's broken. And the other way is not to use the system. 
And crypto in its own way is another piece of that puzzle because you can get into capital markets and get into, you know, IPO like things and stock like instruments by not having to go through the system. And that's working because now you're starting to see institutions, capital markets around the world start to adapt and take, you know, take kind of these 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 technologies under their wing. And so without knowing it, I think that Reddit community as a whole and people as a whole that are kind of fighting against have already won a lot of battles. Sure. Um, and the way, yeah, the way to win is that, you know, to, to take away the money. Because the only reason that the wealthy get more wealthy in capital markets is because the poor give them their money. You know, the equity markets are made for money to go from the bottom to the top. That's how they're designed. And so if you stop putting your money into those markets, then the wealthy stop getting the, your, your money. And trust me, that's going to make a change much faster than, you know, a thousand people on Reddit complaining about Robinhood. Yeah, I think sure. I think that they the one of the keys to the future of the restructuring of the financial system is, in my opinion, uh, community spending, keeping the money within the community. I think the, the moment you outsource all of your money Absolutely. to a conglomerate or to something that funnels towards a, a centralized away from where your actual life goes on, a place away from there's no benefit that this corporation brings to your family or the people down the road or however. So I think the key to that is keeping money within the community. And I'm actually, I'm one of my biggest kind of draws to crypto, as you mentioned briefly before was the community aspect of it. I'm, I'm, I have my Twitter bio is I'm bullish on community. It's like, for me, I think it's, it's, it's the future of democratization in general. Uh, the, the, the community aspect of crypto is something that actually I've re, I'm really interested in. Um, some of the best, some of the top projects are top projects, not just because of their tech, but because of their community. Something like Link, for example, the tech is fantastic, yeah. but to what extent is the Link price propped up by the fact that it's the community that's holding it up there? You know, um, and almost for, all. Do you think so? <laughs> yeah, so it is. Uh, Absolutely. So the, the prices are propped in crypto because of the HODL mentality. The HODL mentality comes partially from community. And so the fact that people buy in and don't sell, well, the more people you get that buy in and don't sell, the higher your price goes. That There's no correlation whatsoever, I think, a very minimal correlation between product and value of utility, of, of, of that utility token. And there shouldn't be, to be quite honest. Um, the utility token should, should gain its value from its utility not from the product that the company who issued the token created. Sure. Um, there's very, there's very part, of that utility, part of that value of utility comes from how it's used. Part of how it's used is it's held, which creates value. So That's why staking is such a, such a, uh, a mainstay now in pretty much all projects that want to maintain kind of communities is they have to introduce some staking of some kind. Yep. Um, I actually work uh, on the mod team for Harvest Finance. I, I don't know if you know Harvest Finance, yeah? Um, Harvest, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that they have done over the past kind of about four or five weeks ago now is uh, the protocol has actually turned a profit. The the cash flow is now turning a profit within itself. And I think it's one of the few DeFi protocols out there that is actually turning a profit whereby the, uh, the, the, the money made from the protocol outweighs the amount that we spray towards the, the, the pools as rewards. And it's something like, you know, a couple hundred dollars was last month, but it, it's a profit. And it's there's very few tokens out there that actually have a positive net cash flow. Um, and it just surprised me when I found this out. I mean, 
I'm kind of learning all the time in crypto. That's another thing that's so interesting about the space is that you can learn a lot. It's it's such new cutting edge technology. But I didn't expect to find out that the majority of projects don't actually gain give any intrinsic value to the holders of the of the of the coin. And that kind of leads me to realize that it is entirely you know, you could, if you're looking at it from the outside, you could say Ponzi, or you could say cult, you could say whatever, but you could also just say belief system, community, or any of these things. And the thing that concerns me is that people are looking for communities, right? People are coming in from the outside and they're finding these communities. Are they finding these communities based on the promise of making money? Are they finding these communities based on finding you know, kinship, you find some friends and you, you enjoy the community itself? Or are you, do you actually believe that the token has an intrinsic value, has a has a technological value? Um, I think that's a really, I think that's a really interesting thing about the crypto space. And I do think that something that, um, I do think that's something that we should, we should kind of ask ourselves when we buy into a project is, am I here because the hype is here? Or am I here because the token is itself actually a useful token? Um, well, I, I hate to say it, but I would say no token. Th- th- this this idea in 2017 that everybody would ask ICOs, does your project need a token? The answer to that question in 2017 and in 2021 is no. There isn't a single project out there that could not function without a tradable tokenized asset linked to it. Because even in even when you talk about programmable money and finance where you're where you're DeFi and doing back-to-back loans and collateralized loans. You don't need to, to actually have a tradable token. You, they, they can just be programmable contracts. Um, the value, obviously one, there has to be at least one, uh, let's say tokenized value that sits within those contracts, but you don't need to have uh, tokens for all these different protocols or all these different uh, companies that provide the service to basically like, like like Harvest, for example, you don't need a token. Coinmetrics doesn't need a token. Binance doesn't need a token. Um, you know, even even things like Matic and 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 things they don't necessarily need a tradable asset. You don't need to have one. Uh, so it's about it's about creation of of value. That's it. Sure. Whether that value is going to be what, how that value gets derived in the future is a whole other story. You can add utility to that token, which will hopefully drive value because more people will buy it, hold it, and or use it, which then obviously creates more value because the token price ends up going up on, a, on an open market. But none, 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 nobody, not one single project outside of a protocol coin like Bitcoin, for example, because Bitcoin is, the, the Bitcoin itself is used to you know, pay the miners or sure. if you look at a staking program. Yeah that it's used to pay rewards back to people that are providing energy or providing some service to the network. Um, and even then, you probably could in some of those protocols get away without having a token. Wouldn't necessarily be required. It makes it easier. It makes you could incentivize it in streamlined. But but yeah, no one does, basically. No one needs a token. Okay. Well but, I, so what? I mean I think that it's a it's a relatively like weighted question not question, but it's a relatively weighted kind of ridiculous idea that there has to be a need for something. Because in life, what do we really need as humans and how much stuff do we have? Um, you know, that's, that's, how, that's how humans operate. We don't need most of the stuff we have, but a lot of the stuff we have that we don't need makes our lives simpler or allows us to enjoy life more or allows us to derive more value out of life 
but we don't need them. So tokens are the same thing. We don't need them. We don't need any of them. Um, but we do. it does help derive value. It does help to streamline certain processes. So while we might not need them, they're useful. It incentivizes the community aspect as well. It's like, hey, you are a follower of this project. Exactly. So here's the token to reward you for following this project. You know, we know this this entire service could run without it, but we're going to give it to you so that if you do if all of you come and join us, it's going to gain in value. So here you are, let's incentivize the creation of community. It it is it is essentially just an entire network of pyramid schemes. And it's it's horrible to say, but that's um then again, people say, look at the dollar. Um, speaking of manipulation of markets, where I'm conscious of time, I just want to ask you, uh, Binance Smart Chain, yes or no? For me, no. Um, and it's not because I don't think the tech works or I think it's bad tech. I mean, um, it's the Ethereum blockchain test. It's really, right? You know, yeah, yeah, well, it's cheaper than, than Ethereum. That's for sure. There's the Rinkby um, test now. But the... It's Binance. I'm just. I can't. I can't say yes to Binance. Sure. Um, Do Binance you... does a lot of really bad things. When you talk about if, if I think if if the cloak was raised raised on Binance on how they operate, how they how they manage their order books, how they've managed all those IEOs in the past, how much money they've made on the back of their clients, then I think there'd be a much different view of Binance from the general public. I think at some point that's going to happen. I think there's probably a stack of paperwork in four or five different three and four letter agencies in the US mm -hmm. about Binance. I think there's probably an ongoing investigation. I would say we're probably a year to two years, maybe three, from that curtain starting to fall. Usually those investigations take three to five years. We're about on the fourth year now. Sometimes they can take longer. You can see investigations like that taking up to 10 years, but there's no way Binance isn't on the radar. They went. They they they've done a little bit after Bitmex. You know, they had their Telegram. SEC went after Telegram. Bitmex is now in, under the guns. They've got Bitfinex. They've got Tether, and they're waiting for some precedent. When that precedent hits, I think Binance is going to get destroyed. Um, so I think anything connected to Binance for me is a risk. Sure. It's a it's it's a sh not short term risk maybe, but it's a long term it's a long term risk. I think uh, Binance is one of the. For me, I started my crypto career. I started on Binance. It's. Just, it's just the go-to for so many people. Um, I've actually moved to China recently, uh, past couple of years. And the one thing that I've noticed since moving here is following Binance's operations on, like within within their site, on their own official newsletters, and also within their, for example, there's a guy, Zhao uh, Zhongpeng, he's uh, the CZ on, on Twitter. He's their kind of spokesperson, so to speak. The way they deal with their business is incredibly similar yeah. to the way the... Uh, the government structure works in on on the in in China itself in terms of deferation of responsibility and you you kind of you have someone who's the face who is seen to be for example CZ he is seen to be the person who you should direct all of your anger and your answers towards but realistically he has absolutely no role or no power it's it's kind of very nepotism yeah, yeah, lots of nepotism that, that, that's that's kind of I think he's a, I think he's a government shill to be honest. I, I think Binance is heavily controlled by the Chinese government. Absolutely. I'm almost um, certain of it. Because and the reason the for that is is that they they've absolutely allowed it to stay. CZ if he if he wasn't like a, a frontman from the government, he would have been arrested and in jail already. Absolutely. And but if you notice his travel patterns where he goes, he's extremely limited to where he can venture in the world. <laughs> I met him in Russia back two and a half three years ago. 
Um, his travel patterns are generally within, you know, it, it, anyway, it's, it's within the I, right and states. I think that's partially one of the reasons why U.S. crackdown or let's say FinCEN uh, as well as uh, FATF as well as it, it will come and it's going to come hard. The question is what will happen afterward doesn't mean it gets dismantled, but I think there's going to be, uh, you know, a major push to try and um yeah, dismantle Binance. Well, it's, it makes that's sense. That's why they're trying. That's why they're opening up all these franchises. That's why they're bringing on additional, um, bring on additional decentralizing protocols, etc. Because they want to be able to maintain some of that liquidity when they get hit. Well, I mean, it's not decentralized at all. The BSC, it's run by twenty-two Binance servers, right? But true. Well, some some decentralization, not true decentralization. But I, I actually have to. I have another call that started a minute a minute ago. But uh, this was this was a this was an interesting call. If really you want to continue it, we absolutely can. Um, you have my link. You can check my calendar and, and, and pop something in. Cool. If you like, I will. Uh, I'll definitely think. I'll definitely get back to you for sure. Thank you very much for your time, Kevin. Um, yeah, really interesting conversation. All right. Thanks, Joshua. Enjoy the rest of your day, mate. See you later. Yep. Same. You too. Cheers. Bye-bye.